Welcome to the intersection of Black culture and horticulture with your girl, Cola B. Talking. And guess what, y'all? We Black in the Garden. Soil Cousins, how are you? I hope you're feeling well. I hope that you are considering the points that I made on the last episode, the the opener of the year, if you will. Uh, What was that? Dormancy? It was Dormancy. Help me remember the name of it now. Dormancy in the spirit. In the spirit of a bear tree. And... I love that I took some time on that episode um, just to to be intentional about breathing. I'm looking forward to incorporating that more in in these future episodes because, ooh, the world is... mm. (laughs) We're going to get to that in a minute. But yeah, there's a lot going on in the world and it's all the more reason to... For us to make sure that we are mindful of ourselves and how we are engaging and responding, you know, like check your jaw. I want you to do that right now. And this is something that I learned a long time ago when I was preparing to give birth for the second time. I remember it was a funny story. Let's just get into it right quick. I remember it was uh, I was actually considering hypnobirth. I mean, don't, don't trip. It was, I was considering it. So I had a conversation with a woman and what, I don't remember everything from it. Um, Hypnobirth is, it's what you think it is. Just context clues. Yes. But what I remember what she said was to check your jaw. She said, if your jaw is tense, then most likely you're tense, like all over. You see what I mean? You see, you see why I'm bringing it up now? It's Yeah. So check your jaw. You tense? Take a deep breath. We got this. This is me. I'm, I'm just imparting to you some of the techniques that I've been using to keep myself grounded because there's just, besides everything that's happening that we are all aware of, we are all personally dealing with our own tests and wars and and trials and tribulations and things. Um, you know, what life is, it's up and down, it's, it's good and bad, or it's just, it just is, depending on, you know, what level of Taoism you're into. <laughs> I've been looking into that myself. But really, I'm happy to have you. I'm happy to be in your ears, to be in your presence. That's what it is. I'm like, I'm in your presence. I'm happy about that. And I'm also happy to bring you this episode, our first full episode of 2021. And I'm only going to say that on this episode. I'm not going to keep on talking about what year it is and getting into all of that because child, y'all know, y'all got calendars. So there's that. And Farmer Ken is an incredible guest. I'm putting in two segments on this episode. Y'all haven't heard from the kids in a while. We got the, I forgot what I was calling that segment, but they here. And uh, Dr. Haley is here on her segment as well. That's coming up right after I get done yakking. 
But yes, I just want to welcome you to this episode of Black in the Garden and know that we got plenty in store for you on today. And you know, I'm aware. Now I haven't, I've been intentionally kind of staying off the news just because, ooh, it can be, it's a lot. Um, that's, that's the best and the most that I can say. And in the interest of providing just, just a, a tad of hot take on the show, which I did kind of indicate that I wasn't going to be doing that. But sometimes I feel like, you know, things that are happening in the world with me having a, a podcast and a platform that I should address them. But I mean, really at the end of the day, and I'm going back to yet one of the many lessons that I learned just from being friends with and having conversations with uh, someone as incredible as Travis, who was our last guest on the um, the last episode of last year and a conversation I had with him recently. He just, he was, he said he's firm in his identity and in letting go of some things attached to ego, he just recognized that he don't have to prove himself. You know what I'm saying? That just resounded with me. And one of the things that he specifically indicated is, I don't have to prove my blackness. You know, like, obviously, obviously I'm black. I'm a black-ass person hosting a black-ass podcast. Hello, black in the garden. So you already know what time it is. It's more important for the sake of this show that I amplify black voices and actually do what it is that I said that I was going to do. So if you're looking for news, if you're looking for hot takes and all of that, Twitter is full of them. And there's one less person on Twitter these days. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Somebody got bad. <laughs> Ooh, that is funny to me. And that's about as much as you're going to get from me on all of that. Because, yeah, I'm aware that it's it's a jungle out here. But I just encourage you once again to breathe. Child, don't let that shit take you under. Don't let it frustrate you. Don't be watching the news after sundown. I don't know how y'all do that. I truly don't. I'm not here for the hot takes. Truly not. I I will be honest. I, I tried. I was like, oh, let me go and just catch up on a little, little NPR, a little BBC, a little HLN or whatever. And I started scrolling through and I was just like, trash, trash, nope. Uh-uh, depressing, annoying, upsetting, white supremacy, racism. I get it. It's still happening. So I actually take solace in this because here's the thing. Some people might say, oh, well, if you don't watch the news, if you don't keep up with world events, then da-da-da-da-da. And sure, cool, I get that. And I'm not going to argue with you on that. But what I will say is this. I'm out here, over here where I'm at in my little corner of the world, shining my light and providing inspiration and encouragement and, and everything else that it is that you come to me for. And also, locally, doing the things that I'm planning to do, it's winter. So when it comes to gardening and growing stuff, you know, it's a little bit limited. But 
making plans for the spring and participating in organizations, just hands-on, boots to the ground is what I like to say, and getting involved in making a difference where I am, that's way more important to me than being aware of what the fuck is going on in all these places where I'm not. So that's the best way that I can put it. And I hope that that helps you uh, gain perspective on that. Because I really did take a minute like, oh, child, what I'm going to tell them about that? Listen, I've been on the internets. I've seen the jokes and the memes. And I've seen that, you know, there's some wild stuff going on. But it's, it's like it's a different headline, but it's still the same old shit. You know what I'm saying? It's still the same white supremacy that is ultimately ruining everything. Like, God, <sighs> just ruining everything. But what we're trying to do, those of us who are fighting back against it, who are speaking back against it and being uncommonly rebellious or just straight up rebellious in every way that we possibly can, keep keep that energy. Let's keep that going. So that's where I'm at with Black in the Garden podcast is amplifying Black voices and continuing to be uncommonly rebellious in all the ways that that it is by me doing the very thing that it is that I'm doing. And I'm so grateful for the impact that it's having. And I'm so grateful to be able to talk to you and, and hear back from you and encourage you and everything else. So having said all that, we are about to get into these segments. You're about to hear from my sweet little babies who I spend a whole lot of time momming. Okay, your girl be busy. All right. And we're going to hear from Dr. Haley after that. Just to make sure that we are, you know, mindful of a few things that we can do during this dormant time. And then we're going to get into the interview and we're going to have a great show. And I will holler at you at the end. Or maybe I won't. You know what? I'm not. Love, light, and soil. At the end of the interview, the episode is done. Check the show notes for everything that you need. I appreciate y'all. I'm just keeping everything simple. It's a lot going on. I'll tell y'all more about that once everything gets done and processed. But here we are on Black in the Garden. Soil Cousins, I appreciate you all. Like, subscribe, push all the buttons if you're new here. And tell a friend, share it. Please do share. And definitely uh, send me an email, especially if you have suggestions for some dope guests, because I'm, I'm constantly scouting for that. So I appreciate you all, and I appreciate you for appreciating me. <laughs> Guess what? We're back in the garden. What are some things that bugs do that humans also do? Well, insects are bugs. They eat, they sleep, they build things. They have young, they take care of their young, they protect themselves. I mean, they're, they're just doing what we do. They, they just want to survive and they want to create their offspring to survive to the next generation. So they, they have to do the same things that we do. They go to the bathroom, they clean themselves. Say if they're a honeybee or something, they have jobs they have to do inside the hive, depending on at what stage of the worker bee they are. You know, when they first come out, 
the new worker bees, they have to tend to the other babies that are developing uh, as they get older. They have to protect the hive. They have to clean out the hive. They have to protect the queen or they have to clean up after the queen. I had to make sure the queen is laying eggs. Then they have to go out and they have to bring food back, uh, which is the nectar. They have to make honey. So they do the same things that we do. You know, we have to, you have to go out, you have to do work. You have to come home, you have to feed, you have to eat, you have to clean up, go to sleep. You know, they're the same way. We just, you know, our, we just, we always think of us being, you know, the only ones that do things and that insects and other animals are just, you know, they're just here taking up space. But then in reality, we're all doing the same thing. We're all just trying to survive to the next day. That's all we do. <laughs> so what's the 411, huh? All right. So Dr. Haley, what can you tell us about why plants go dormant, why that's important? But first, let's start with what is dormancy? So dormancy is when the plant sort of goes into hibernation. So the growth rate slows and it's not eating as much. It's just kind of asleep, basically. In some cases, while there's nothing going on above ground, so there's no leaf growth or stem and, and branch growth, what's happening is below the soil where the roots are getting firm, more firmly established. For some plants, that's how it works. Uh, that's why it's like really good to plant your fruit trees in fall and then your fruit trees and bushes. And then by the time spring comes, they're well established. So what you'll see is that the leaves are not doing a whole lot of anything. They may have all fallen off, in fact. But hmm. what's happening underground is that those roots are getting down deep into the soil or spreading out. Or shallow rooted things, it may be that the, the network of roots is spreading out, outward to form a web. So it can pull in all the nutrients that it needs and preparing for the spring, you know, for waking up and putting out a new flush of leaves and flowers and fruit and what have you. So dormancy is basically, you know, time for resting. It's me time for plants. That's cute. Oh, me time. Okay. We can all understand when you put it in that context. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I appreciate that. That makes a lot of sense, you know, especially considering things are happening beneath the soil. It's not always something that is going to be apparent to us. And it really does require for us to really trust the process. Absolutely. If you think about it with humans, when we sleep, that's when we our bodies repair themselves and like reset, your mind resets, you know, you get a break. Plants do sort of the same thing. And then in the spring, when we're ready to demand things of them, right? We want, we want the flowers, we want the fruit, we want all the nice fragrances and you know, all of that. Yes. Or we want the plant to do something for us in in the in the sense of like protecting other plants, right? Like we plant herbs and we want them to protect our crops and that kind of stuff. So you make some demands of these plants, but the mm -hmm. energy required to put forth flowers or flowers and fruit is pretty significant. It's, it's actually quite tremendous. So in order to be prepared to do that, the plant needs to go to sleep, have some downtime, then kind of summon up all of its energy for the push that's going to come at the beginning of the season.
All right, so today on Black in the Garden, we have with us Farmer Ken. And I'm going to keep it simple because I was just telling him I'd be doing too much. He is a, Ken is a gardening consultant. He's an artist. He can even sing a little bit, I hear. All right, and he's a community advocate. He's been featured in the LA Times and even on a local news affiliates. So they know about him out there on the West Coast. It, well, everywhere because he's featured in, in a, a national publication, if you will. So I'm very excited to know that you're already getting your your flowers and your recognition. And so mm-hmm. let's keep that going here on Black in the Garden. Thank you so much for joining us, Ken. Yeah, thank you for allowing me to be here today. Of Great course. opportunity. Yes, yes. It's I mean, it's great to be able to talk to you. Doing Black in the Garden is really just my way to, I mean, I don't know, like low key. I'm like, I just want to pick y'all brains and get some tips. You already, even before we got started, (laughs) even before we got started, he already been dropping game on me. And I'm just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's actually start. Let's just make this official. Let me introduce you right quick and you can talk your shit. So first question. When did you first realize that plants are were an important part of your life? I realized at a young age because uh, when I was growing up, my great grandmother, I think I was like four or five years old. My great grandmother, grandmother, they had a garden in the backyard, a couple gardens and uh, some fruit trees. And so I, I uh, was out there with them helping pick different produce and, and learning about plants. And so I learned at a very young age Good. and I had gardens. Yeah, I started young and then. I think I had my own garden when I was like in middle school, started having my own garden wow. and in high school. And yeah, that's how I started. So, so you it's could, been it since a very young age. You could credit your grandmother for that. Yeah. And this was in Ohio. This was in Ohio. My uh, grandmother, great grandmother, then uh, my great aunt, my grandmother's sister, they taught me a lot. Beautiful. About gardening. Yeah. So we're going to get into where you're from. I just want to say this right quick, because as I was learning more about you, I was making connections here. Let me tell you what I found out and let me tie it together. So you are from Ohio and you moved to California and you're also creative. You're you you're a musician. And I was like, damn, that sounds familiar. (laughs) That sounds like Siri. One of our (laughs) guests from season two. You know, Siri, right? Yeah. Shout out yep. to Siri. So I just wanted to make that connection right quick. Y'all not related, are y'all? <laughs> no, we're not related. Besides being soil cousins. So I just thought that was so cool, that connection that I made when I was learning about you. I'm like, okay, so we just got like a male Siri coming up. No, I'm just playing. Because your story, of course, is not the same. Y'all, turns out, spoiler alert, you guys, they're, they're not kin, literally, but technically, according to me, we are soil cousins. So... Yeah. Tell us about how, you know, your origins in Ohio and how you ended up being in California. Uh, it's been a very interesting journey, actually. I um, I went to the Ohio State University uh, for undergrad, graduated from there. And uh, while there, I was in the College of Food, Agriculture, and Environmental Sciences. Mm. Now, when I first got there, that was my uh, that was my area of focus. So my major was in wildlife biology when I first started. I started taking some African-American studies classes and I became more involved that way. And then I ended up switching my major and minor around. I have two minors. I have a minor in natural resources oh. and then I have a minor in music and a major in African-American studies. Well-rounded. So. <laughs> Get you a man yeah. that could do all of that. I had a, a great time there. While there, I was a president of a national organization called MANERS, which is Minorities in Agriculture, Natural Resources and Related Sciences. 
So I was president there for maybe in that organization for maybe two years. And I held various roles there. I was secretary one year and treasurer. So I had I had several different roles at the Ohio State University chapter of the Manners National Organization. And I also had an internship one summer at the Cleveland Metro Parks, which gave me uh, insight of how to incorporate native plants, Ohio native plants at the time of native mm. plants. I worked with a natural landscape specialist. So all that kind of helped train me. And my African-American studies class, I had this one course where we were working in the, in the east side of Columbus. And I worked at this, my organization I worked for was called the Neighborhood House. And so I implemented a community garden there as one of my projects. So it's high African-American studies with gardening. And I was able to implement a community garden and we were able to, to harvest and have produce for people in the community there. So that was pretty dope. That was like my first experience having a community, actual community gardening experience. And so upon graduating from the Ohio State University, I think I stayed in Ohio like maybe one more year. And then I mm-hmm. moved to Chicago um, and I started working in the education field when I was in Chicago. I went to graduate school at the University of Illinois at Chicago there. So I uh, graduated from grad school with a master's degree in education. I did spend uh, maybe 12 years in education. So in Chicago, I was there for maybe seven years and I worked for a couple of different nonprofits, community-based organizations. And at the time I was doing, we did after school programs. So in one of my positions, I was able to bring in some resources and we uh, secured a grant for a garden. So we built our own community garden and then uh, we tied in healthy eating, cooking, and fitness for the for the students and then for their parents, which is very dope. I always like to do a holistic approach. So not yeah. just gardening, but learning how to garden. So math is incorporated with that, science, yeah. uh, architecture. There's so much incorporated. So the, the kids learn how to do all this and what to plant, how to plant, and then how to cook and harvest. So culinary arts was, was incorporated. That partner with some community-based organizations to have a cooking class for the students and the parents. And so it was a really awesome experience. And so That's comprehensive. Um, yeah, it was it was it was cool. And I enjoyed my time there in Chicago. Eventually I left after seven years. I was just sick. Just wanted to change, wanted to do more with um get more involved with arts in a different way and also Ooh. warmer weather. And yeah, so I ended up, you know, moving to California and uh naturally I, <laughs> got a job <laughs> before I moved. So I moved here with a job. I secured a job working for a nonprofit and moved to LA. I've been here six years now. And I worked in education for maybe like five of the six years. I just left education this past year. Here in LA, I worked in a, in a Watts community for a couple of years. And I worked in, in South Central for like five years, South LA. So you mentioned Watts and South Central. Those areas right. in around Los Angeles, not known to be the most pretty and friendly places, you know, urban, safe to say that there's like a, a lot of like gang type of shit going on over there. Yeah. I mean, from the media standpoint, yeah. From the media um, standpoint. So uh, break it down for us. Like tell us what, <laughs> what it really is. Cause you and, and you mean, were doing your thing and <laughs> adding value to it. So yeah. let's debunk some myths then. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't have any issues there. I have, I have family that lives here. So I have extended family. My, my great, my great uncle and my, my great aunt live here and I have cousins extended family that that are that's here in LA so and I have friends here I didn't have any issues you know in the communities I I've been in I lived in South Central for a year or two when I was you know when I first moved here too and Mm -hmm. and I didn't have any 
any issues. The community garden that we started in Watts, there weren't mm-hmm. any problems there. It was a community garden where people were able, and I was in Nickerson Gardens okay. uh, in Watts. It's one of the housing projects in Watts. We didn't have any issues. We had a community garden and uh, one of the older women in the community had, you know, the keys to the garden and oh. um, a couple of people, you know, they had this space. They had raised beds where they could plant their own produce and we didn't have one issue there. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, and that's why I loved it, you know. Yeah. So that's why I'm like, that's one of the initiatives that, I, that I'm doing is helping build community gardens. So I'm um, in the process of securing funding so that I can help help start and implement community gardens in some of these areas that definitely need them food desert areas where there's not a lot of resources. And so, yeah, that's one of the initiatives with the farmer can that I'm gearing up to do. Uh, I've seen it done and, you know, I'm working at different organizations I worked for. And so now I'm doing it on my own. It's something that's definitely important. Shout out to you for that. And I love how you, what you mentioned about understanding the importance of serving communities where food is, not as accessible, specifically in reference to the uh, the ability that you have to grow. You also have the educational backing and you've been involved in all these organizations. So you have like all this knowledge and all this insight and you have experience with the development and the maintenance of all these things. And so that just, that makes you like the perfect candidate. It's like, it's your calling. Would you say that this is a calling for you? Yeah, it definitely is. And it comes so natural. I didn't realize I didn't realize it. Like my friends have been urging me for a while. Why don't you uh, put yourself out there more? Why don't you, you know, I started my Instagram in like uh, my farmer can. I have a music Instagram. I started my farmer can Instagram in like November and I didn't even post that much until Mm -hmm. I started sharing more in like January. I think, you know, I didn't realize it. It's like a gift that I have, but I didn't realize it. That makes sense. it's like I always had gardens growing up. Yeah. I had gardens when I moved to L.A. Um, when I purchased my first house in, I think, 2015, that's one of the first things that I put in was a garden. And I've had gardens. I'm on my third house out here. In each house, I make sure to have a garden. So I've always had gardens and or a garden in a community space where I could still, you know, I was able to uh, harvest from the garden. Yeah, so. For sure. Definitely. So I didn't realize it at the time, but mm-hmm. I realize it now. <laughs> priorities we got to put the garden in first like because how we gonna eat we got a kitchen you know what i mean we got to have some food to put in it and so we want to grow our food yeah and you even have chickens i do i have chickens too this is my first time having chickens i'm glad that you have chickens yes because my my very next question was going to be so what's your skill level at like chicken keeping what is there a word for that there's got to be a science <laughs> word for that right yeah it's pretty e- i mean it's pretty they're pretty easy actually uh, they're a lot easier than people think they are i mean they're pretty clean birds they clean themselves they take baths in the soil i mean i make sure they have fresh food and water and clean their coop hmm. out but okay. other than that they maintain themselves they're cool they have fun funny personalities each personality is different some follow you around <laughs> you know they're but they're I don't have a hen. I mean, I don't have any roosters. I just have hens. Okay. So a lot of people think you need a rooster in order to get eggs. You don't need a rooster to get eggs. A rooster will really? take your flock. Yeah, mm-hmm. you don't. You get eggs. But wait, okay. Daily. Biology. <laughs> just, let's just park right here and get this biology lesson together. So you yeah. telling me hens are female chickens. Roosters yes. are males, right? 
Yeah. Somewhere right. in between the, the sperm got to fertilize the egg or whatever. Maybe I'm going to talk about mammals. Let's stay on track. <laughs> so you telling me you don't need a male in there to make sure that the, like, elaborate, please. No, no. It's just like a, a, a female human woman. You don't okay. need a male to produce an egg. You produce eggs on your own, right? You just need a male oh. to fertilize the egg. <laughs> Boom! See, I ju- yeah. I did say fertilize, right? Okay, uh-huh. I didn't teach me. I told y'all at the top of the show. I'm like, I'm doing this. We all learning together. All right. Yeah. Uh, I know what I know, but I don't know everything, and I just love to be able to learn in this way while technically kind of teaching everybody because there's there's a whole platform. You see how that works? We're all winning here. Yes, champion. Okay, so. <laughs> Thank you for that, because I did have a note on, like, I wanted to ask you about chickens, but I wasn't sure how, how to organically incorporate that into it. It came up. So thank you for that. Okay, so you have chickens out there. You said that you've been out there for six years, right? right? But isn't it true that you started your food force about the same time when you got there? Because you got a food force. We're about to get into the forest. Yeah, I have a food forest. This is the first time I'm growing a food forest now. So maybe about a year in, year and a half in. And actually this past year is when I started expanding them more. I've had gardens in the ground gardens and a raised beds or combination of them, but I never had a food forest. It's a different growing technique. Let's start with the definition of a food forest. Because if you like me, you're thinking about like some kind of fairy tale image where it's like, (laughs) you got like hot dogs hanging from the trees and, you know, like... Like a Candyland meets Hansel and Gretel kind of image. I'm, I told you I'd be doing a lot. This brain is too much. But let's be realistic. Tell us what a food forest is. Okay. A food sure. forest, it is like a self-sustained system. So you see trees living together, right? Mm-hmm. So it's the same type mm-hmm. of technique. Yes. Everything's not separated. You have your tall, taller canopy trees. You have smaller trees. You have vines using the trees for support. You have like strawberries trailing along the ground, for instance. Uh, you have smaller wow. bushes and shrubs on the outskirts of your forest. So it's that type of planting that I'm doing on top of my hill because I have, I, I was telling you, I have a terrace yard. Some of my yard is concrete. Mm-hmm. I have some stuff and planters on top of the concrete, like in a raised beds. I have right. some things directly in the ground, and then I have a big hill in the backyard that's all soil. So that's where I have the majority of my fruit trees, shrubs, and my food forest and my chickens. So they're all up there. It's basically a self-sustaining system. So like I have probably over 70 fruit trees and shrubs and then other edible plants, rosemary, thyme, sage, oregano, strawberries, blueberries. I'll give you some examples, some melons trailing in the space below. So it's utilizing all your space. So Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's definitely a great growing technique if you if you have the space for it. It sounds like you have the space. Uh, that's how yeah. it's happening. <laughs> so, <laughs> what is is that like? More than an acre? Is that several acres? Half an acre? Oh, like no. what you working with? No, I'm only using maybe like three thousand square feet. Oh, and you have a food forest. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let me just take that in. That's amazing. Okay, so let me ask you this. Having everything that you just named and more, because of course you can't tell us everything that you have going on because you have so much, 
But with that in mind, I'm thinking about abundance. I'm thinking you definitely are growing more than what you and your family can take in. How do you incorporate that into the community and how you serve the community Um, around you? So a lot of the trees that I planted are probably like, uh, I've had them for maybe a year or two. So Mm -hmm. it's not crazy yet. I do have Mm -hmm. some trees that were already on the property that are producing a lot, like the pomegranates. There's a lot of pomegranates. I have a lot of prickly pears. Those two, I had a lot of. They were all oh, and some grapes. Those are the main things that I had a lot of this year. But I have some other trees that are that are producing, and I've only had them for a year. Like I have nectarines. I have a couple pears. I just I had loquats in the spring. So there's some there's some things that I've been producing. So in the next couple of years, it's going to be popping a lot. That's when I'll be able to do a lot more. I have like you know as far as my other leafy vegetables, I have a lot of those. But like as far as the trees. It's not at the capacity where it's like thousands of fruit yet. It's going to be there in the next couple of years. Then I'll of probably, course. you know, I've been we thinking about what I'm going to do. So <laughs> I'm going to be definitely, <laughs> you know, doing some food banks and, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I want to make sure I set up when it starts popping like that. I know it's coming quickly. Yeah, uh, I've been doing a couple of farmers bank? markets and stuff now. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's the, that's the plan. You know, once I get everything growing, growing and going and rolling out the way I have everything really? set up now. Everything staggered, so it's like I'm planning. I'm being intentional with my planning, so everything's not ready at the same time. So it'll yeah. be I'll be able to self-sustain a lot. Um, like my my Meyer lemon produces year round, but then I have like uh, mm-hmm. oranges that are ready in the in the winter time. So I was intentional with my planning, so I could have fruit year round. So like pomegranates get ready in uh, August, and then I have my nectarines that got ready. At the beginning of August, I have apple trees. My Anna apple, which is a warm climate apple, got ready in July. And it actually has two crops. So I have another. It started blooming again a couple of weeks ago. And I'll have another harvest probably in like November. So I've been very intentional so that it could be continual harvest throughout the year as opposed to one big fall harvest. A, a lot of things do get ready in the fall, but it won't be everything getting ready yeah. in the fall. It's staggered. So. I'm super impressed by everything that you just said, because the level of planning that goes into that, I'm very big on strategy and strategizing just in anything, especially when you're trying to execute on something, make it excellent, you know, push something out, promote or whatever. So knowing that you you have a mind for that, I, I'm always particularly like impressed by that. So shout out to you once again. I think you said staggering sort of like you're you're mm-hmm. wanting to have different crops that are available at different times but you know just really kind of like I don't know if you would consider what you're doing like reverse engineering where it's like hey I would like to have apples at this time so that means I do this at this time you're thinking way ahead that that never gets old to me I love that yeah you always got to do that when you're planning like uh and there's different cultivars produced at different times So like you can have early season mid-season the late season so even like your different pear, different fruit trees, pears, apples, mm-hmm. whatever. Look at when they get ready. Is it mid-season, late-season, early-season? Because you can have two different varieties. You can have some early-season pears and some late-season pears. Mm-hmm. So that's very important. Also, in our warmer climate, and climates that don't get a frost and freeze or very low frost and freeze, yeah. you need to have specific cultivars in order to have success. For, For sure. fruit trees that are typically lose their leaves, deciduous trees like your apples, your uh, peaches, pears, plums, even your, your blueberries and all your ras- your raspberries, blackberries, you know, all those things, 
uh, apricot, you need to have low chill varieties of those in order to right. have a successful crop. Otherwise, you won't have enough dormancy in the wintertime. That is an important distinction to make, uh, just knowing what plants are suitable for the climate that you're in. And, and yeah. let's bring it back around because I was we talked a little bit about this before we got started. And I'm like, how do we get this in here? <laughs> about the microclimates and understanding where you are statewide. So what I mentioned was the sunset guide. I couldn't think of exactly what it was called. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, I knew that that was a thing in California. So just kind of give us a few tips on finding your specific climate and the difference between what we know about USDA hardiness zones and your specific microclimate and the difference between those. Walk us through that. You know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. So uh, USDA zone is good for your winter hardiness. If you're in a USDA zone five, for example, and you see a plant that says winter hardiness, USDA zone six, it's probably not going to survive your winter cold, like the coldest part of your winter on average. So it may not be a good plant to plant in your environment, for example. So USDA zones will give you a good estimate on your winter hardiness for plants, uh, what can go in your in your area or not. However, sunset zones are more tailored towards your microclimate. For example, I'm in USDA zone 10B, and so are parts of Florida and parts of Texas. The coldest part of the winter is the same. However, mm-hmm. our climates are quite different. Whereas we get rain in just the wintertime because we're a Mediterranean climate here. Los Angeles is not a, a desert. It's considered oh. a Mediterranean climate. So Mediterranean yeah. climates have a distinct dry season and a distinct wet season. So that's another oh. bit of knowledge. A lot of people think Los Angeles is a desert. We're not a desert. We typically, on an average, get 16, about 16 inches of, of rain in the winter, although we've had some dry dry spells. But that's, mm. the, tip, that's the average over at least 100 plus years. 16 inches of rain per winter and our rainy season is usually like November through April or so. Um, mm-hmm. That's when we get the majority of our rain, if not all of our rain. So going back to the sunset zones, like I said, Florida is way different from California, right? Florida is more, so many there's a lot more rain. But <laughs> 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 well, we talking about gardening right now. So we got, uh, (laughs) so the uh, sunset zones tailored towards your microclimate. So it'll, Mm -hmm. it'll definitely tell you, you know, you get influenced by the inland valleys and the, and once in a while ocean influence. Like it'll tailor towards that and tell you what plants to grow tailored towards, you know, that way. So I use both USDA and the sunset zone and you can find sunset zones throughout the whole uh, U.S. Hey, just do a Google search. You'll find a lot more for West Coast for sunset zone information, but there is sunset zone information out there for the rest of the USA. So you can definitely find that. Thank you for that. And I did mean to kind of clarify when we first got into the use of the term microclimate, which I love microclimates and I love the terminology. I love that I know what it is, but why don't you just tell us right quick what a microclimate is for those who don't know. Yeah, either way to think about it is kind of like it takes into account your precipitation, your elevation, your humidity, you know, your airflow, all those type of factors. I would say you could be like in the same range, just down to even half a mile. And you are, let's say you're like there's a, a steep incline or perhaps there's like a cliff, like for the person who is at the top of the cliff. They gonna have one thing going, and then you go down. Let's say, like I don't know, 
200 feet down at like the bottom of that cliff, it's a different situation, right? Right. Boom. Exactly. So like if you're on a slope, you might not get as much water because the water's running down. You might have more condensation in certain areas because of the way the mm-hmm. wind flows and produces, you know, on the mountain, the wind's flowing one direction, then you get more clouds and precipitation on the other side. Right. You know, so that's all, all of that is considered in your microclimate. For sure. And then if you're like, you're in California, if you're on the coast, close to where, you know, you got the yeah. salt water and all this salt in the air blowing in, that's yeah. a whole different set of problems, right? Yeah. And your climate is different. If you're on the, on the coast, hugging the coast, you stay, typically stay cooler. California's water is cool. We don't get like warm golf water. That's why we don't have hurricanes and tropical storms here. Um, because our water doesn't heat up to 80, 70, 80 degrees, so you can't get any formation of storms. There's only been I never uh, even considered that. Yeah, that's why we don't get them. I mean, there's only I I think maybe two times. Yep, maybe, I wow. think maybe two times in history, a uh, tropical system has hit California. They came up from Mexico. I think the last one might have been the 1930s. And it came up from uh, Mexico and came on up here as a weak tropical storm. Wow. And hit tore up San Pedro on, uh, and uh, Long Beach. But um, yeah, it's been that long. And, and I think what happened in the 1800s too, it doesn't <laughs> happen because then you need the right conditions for the jet stream to push it up here coming yeah. from Mexico. And it has to come up here quick because it's going to die. It's going to die as it hits the cooler water and weaken a lot. That's why we don't get them. Our water's not you warm know, enough. You know what I just took from that though? is like, yo, so what if we could just get like a big old glacier and transport it into the Gulf, cool that thing down and just, stop hurricanes in Florida altogether. That's the solution, y'all. You're welcome. I just solved a huge problem. If y'all get a get a, uh, a glacier. I don't know how we're gonna do all that, but I'm telling you, that's that's the solution to hurricanes. We we could be like chilling, people be evacuating, houses tore up. Get a glacier out there, y'all. What are we doing? Thank you, you have for that. <laughs> what's the okay, what's gonna happen if we put a glacier in there? gonna have flooding because where's all that displaced water gonna go yeah you're gonna have flooding everywhere if you take a glacier and drop it in that hot water okay it's gonna be flooded <laughs> what's your rather have a flood than a hurricane you ain't even gonna have a, a, a land anymore <laughs> so that would just cancel florida altogether because it would just be all underwater that's yeah. I don't know. I don't know because you know, like I said, Florida and California. We're not going to get into all that. That's politics. We're not doing that. I live for these moments. I'm like, I'm about to quit and let you be the host because you <laughs> clearly have all the answers. <laughs> and speaking of having the answers, let's just say, well, let's keep this thing going. Let's have some fun. I understand that you had to make some changes during the pandemic. You know, we are living in a I would love to say post-pandemic world, but it's actually kind of still happening. Boo. Yeah. But yeah. we are far enough into it to be like, okay, so this is how my life was before, and this is how I've pivoted. And I'm particularly interested in, you know, you sharing with us how that has affected the work that you are doing when the pandemic hit. Tell us a little bit yeah. about that. Um, right before the pandemic hit, I just finished up as, as a program, as a production coordinator. So just doing that uh, production coordinator for a show, right? So I was working on the show. I think we wrapped in February. We shot in the end of January and then February post-production. And then the pandemic hit. So I wait, was working right, on television wait. and film. 
Mm-hmm. Television and, and film. Okay. And television and film. So I was doing that and then also music. Um, I mean, I still do music because I write and produce. I play saxophone too and sing oh. and, uh, and write. So I write lyrics and produce music. So I actually, I've been playing music since I, I started playing sax in fifth grade. So I've been doing that for a long time. And so um, production, pretty much being on set is totally different now. And it paused for a long time. Some of them are just starting mm. to open back up. So uh, yeah, when that took a hard pause, I already had my garden, but I just expanded it more because the way this whole grocery store food situation was set up, nobody was trying to be out there all like that, you know, and True. not knowing, having clarity and everything on, you know, what's open. They are limiting people coming into the stores, having a long line. So I'm like, I'm expanding my garden out even more so that I could just eat from the land totally. So, yeah. I mean, I, right now I don't have to go to the store for nothing unless I want, I still eat meat. So if I want to, if I want to go grab some meat or something like that, and I need to, because I don't eat my chickens. I just have, I eat the eggs from them, but they're my pets. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't. Oh, that's so sweet. Because I was going to ask you, you know, I, I'm glad I you kind of came back around to that. Do you name them? <laughs> Their names? Yeah, they have names. Uh-huh. They have names. How many of them is it? Seven. We're not going to get into the names then. Okay, so <laughs> you, you're you you're able to sustain yourself all together. Yeah. You you have the eggs, which that was another question I was going to ask. You are killing it. I'm telling you, look, you're going to host this after we done. All the rest <laughs> of the episodes going forward, hosted by Farmer Ken. I quit. <laughs> are you silly? <laughs> so, okay. So you're fully sustaining yourself mm-hmm. as a result of recognizing that going to the store, not such a good idea. Yeah. And also. the store for any veggies. And with that going on, are you also uh, sharing with like neighbors, the community? How How is the community involved? I've been doing offerings and things like at some of the farmer's markets. I was at some of the farmer's markets, but then there was an uptick in coronavirus. <laughs> so I, I what you Wait, that. you say there was yeah. an uptick in the coronavirus. And yes. so your involvement yeah. at the farmer's market, you just was like, no, nah, yeah. I'm not going back over there. Yeah, well, they actually shut it down for a little couple weeks, period. So they were doing, it was supposed to be like no contact delivery where you can order in advance. Mm-hmm. But then they and then offered some for walk-ups, but then they went ahead and opened some. And then they uh, then there was a, a uptick in the coronavirus. So then they went back, they shut down completely and they just had like maybe some orders for online ordering. So I've been sourcing some stuff from that. And then I've been having my Etsy shop and then I, what I'm gearing towards now for the community that uh, is to do these actually community garden spaces. It's mm-hmm. been kind of hard because in Los Angeles, we're still shut down. So it's kind of like I'm getting out there a little bit, but yeah. I'm still leery because our cases have, have dropped a lot now. But like we had another uptick in like July and another one in August. And then they, mm-hmm. so we never fully completely opened back up as we were starting to open and increase a lot. So that's mm-hmm. what's kind of like hampering me a little bit because the current situation with COVID-19 here. So, I mean, what I plan on doing, I want to get the community garden started. So, I mean, that's one of the, you know, definite initiatives. I'll be, you know, putting my whole funding thing out there soon so that uh, we can kind of get the funds together so we can get this rolling around. It's going to have to be not a lot of contact (laughs) when I'm getting this done, but that's number one space, but it definitely can be done. And so that's one of the things I'm definitely gearing towards so you're saying that from what you know and what 
in the ways that you have had to uh, really kind of reconfigure how contact works, especially considering like having as little contact as possible yeah. in a community garden setting. Yeah, they're not even doing like schools even online. So like it is. schools are just opening. So it's kind of like it's just very different. And so it's just trying it to figure is. all of that, you know, trying to figure out everything. None of us really so, know what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If that makes you feel better. It's <laughs> <laughs> a weird space. They're like, you know, social distancing, but then they have some kids went to college and then they got, then uh, there was a, the COVID-19 was spreading in the college. And so like. Cause you know what them kids be doing <laughs> at college. You went to college. Uh, <laughs> so it's going to spread when you get college kids. Get, especially if you open them dorms up. Well, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But okay, so the the corona is is upon us, and so we we really do have to make some changes. Yeah, it's it's been. I've been doing some garden consultation. So yeah, I've doing, like uh, I've been doing that, and uh, some garden projects where I'm helping people start their individual gardens in their backyard oh. or garden space. So I've been doing that too. So I'm just trying to find different ways to be creative and innovative, and like I've been doing. Um, and even like with the consultation, doing a Zoom call uh, so we can yeah. see each other and they show me the space. And so I've been doing that to try to help that way as well. That's what so, you got to do. You've got to be you creative. Know. You talk <laughs> about creativity. So that's just taking me into my next question, which is, Good. well, not question, but so much of like, uh, I, I want to talk more about your means of being creative, using that creativity in everything you do. Because let me just say this, y'all. Creativity will serve you in every aspect of your life, especially yeah, if does. you are intelligent and resourceful. Mm-hmm. That's how we got here. All right. This show would not be possible if I was not all of those things, because that is just what it requires, you know. And so you being creative already, especially as an artist, as a musician, I'm not sure if there may be a connection between, you know, music and stuff and gardening, but uh, tell us more about the way that you are using your creativity to do things like, I know I was reading on the LA Times article, it says that you were <laughs> growing a pineapple in a wine casket. They said casket. Was that correct? I've never heard of that before. It's a, it's a whiskey barrel, half whiskey barrel. That makes more sense. Why don't they just say that? A whiskey barrel. Girl, like I can see that in my mind, but when you say wine casket, I'm like, so... Because you put a dead person in it? Let me stop playing. <laughs> so tell us about how you're being creative with, you know, your growing things. Because that's one of my things. Oh, yeah. I did that a lot, especially starting out. I'm creative because I push the envelope. So there's, and there's a couple of different ways I'm creative. I push the envelope with growing things. Like, like pineapple is mm-hmm. a tropical fruit. I, mm-hmm. uh, I've seen people grow them and in, in, uh, have whiskey barrels here and be successful. So I decided to try it out. Mm-hmm. We don't, we're really not humid here. So we don't get the humidity, but I can control the environment more in a, having in a half whiskey barrel. And then um, there's somewhat like mangoes. I'm growing a mango. It's typically a tropical fruit, but they, there is some success here in California. So I decided to go ahead and grow it. I'm experimenting with a cinnamon tree right now. Cinnamon grows so, on trees. I should have known. Cinnamon that. comes from tree. Yeah, you eat the bark, and the, you're eating the the bark from the cinnamon. That's what the cinnamon is. So I'm growing a cinnamon tree. I found it. I like finding unique things and growing them. 
like unique yeah. plants. So, I mean, I grow traditional stuff and I grow unique varieties of things. That's how I'm right. creative. One of the ways I'm creative yeah. with my planting. Yeah. So, like, I sent, I got like some cinnamon tree. I'm growing this thing called a, a ice cream bean tree. Oh my so, God, that uh, sounds so good. <laughs> Are they cute? <laughs> so, you eat, it produces these pods and you eat the stuff between the pods. It's like this white film that you eat between the pods and it's supposed to taste like ice cream. What? So, Ice yeah. cream beans. What's the origin of ice cream beans? You can't just say ice cream beans without me having a whole bunch of follow-up questions. I think it comes from South America, if I'm not mistaken. That sounds so, very rare. Oh, yeah. I'm growing uh, a lot of different types of unique plants. I'm growing eucalyptus, and I have maybe five, six different varieties of eucalyptus I'm growing. I grow different cultivars of plants. Like, I have a pineapple mint, which is a variegated mint variety. Variegated means heard it's of that. green, and it has, mm-hmm. uh, it has a pineapple hint to it when you smell it and taste it and then i have a strawberry mint which has a little it's harder to harder to find but it has a little strawberry berry taste hint of that with the mint flavor nice. so i grow different cultivars of things like uh, lemon thyme has a lemon hint to it mixed yes. with thyme so mm-hmm. i love growing like different varieties of plants i have this uh, squash called a trombone squash so i saw like a picture a of that <laughs> Yo, I saw a picture of that in a seed catalog that I will not name, or maybe it was some account that was connected to that, but it was uh, epic. It was very epic. That thing was like four feet long. You can use it as a winter squash or summer squash. Keep it smaller if you want it as a summer squash so it's more tender, or let it get harder and grow larger and use it as a winter squash and it'll store well for a little while. It's my first year growing it. It's definitely um, unique. There's your connection right there, Ken, between the music and the yeah. agriculture, the trombone squash. So you get that trombone squash, you know, let it grow all <laughs> out, right? Dry it out, carve out the middle. You got an instrument and it's for me. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. Drop the album, the trombone squash. I'm buying it. Put it on iTunes. I'm there. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> See, I guess, I guess it could work. That's amazing. Okay, so you, wow, you true to this. That's what I like to say. You you definitely not new to this, and you are very much true to this. I love having you like unique plants. I got us two more really unique ones that I love growing. I think you should grow if you have if you're in a frost for your environment. One's called a collard tree. It's a collard tree. Tree collards. Okay. People haven't heard of these, but tree collards grow. They last maybe ten to twelve years. Grow maybe six to eight feet tall, maybe three yeah. feet wide. Basically, collard greens on a tree. You just collard plant greens it one time on steroids. Yeah, you plant it one good time. You get to plant, plant it, and it'll give you greens for years. And you don't need to plant a bunch of collards. You could plant collards every year if you want to, but this collard tree will give you a lot of collards. Well, so from what I know, if I'm not mistaken, I have heard of the collard tree. And isn't it true that one leaf could like feed a whole family? Is that what? If they get rid, you maybe a couple, maybe several leaves. They get large, yeah, large leaves like your typical collard greens. But yeah, they. I mean, you know, with collards, they they're tougher greens. You got to cook them a little bit longer, but they don't like shrivel up like the mustards do and oh. turn them a little bit thicker, hardier green. They, yeah, they do condense, but they take a little bit longer to cook down, and they're very healthy. You know, so yeah, I mean, if you could grow a collard, collard trees, tree collards in your area, mm-hmm. uh, when you need a frost-free climate or not somewhere that gets an intense winter, 
I would definitely suggest doing that. And African blue basil is another one that uh, I would suggest growing if you can grow it. It's a perennial basil, so it doesn't die. You need a frost-free climate, and it grows some maybe four feet tall and maybe three, four feet wide quickly. Gives you, uh, it brings a lot of um, pollinators to your yard. Nice. So I get honeybees every day, and it has a stronger camphor taste, uh, smell and taste. It's actually a hybrid, so it's a hybrid between like a purple basil and a camphor basil. So it mm-hmm. produces flowers with no seeds. So you can't you can't actually find the seeds of this basil. Ooh. You can only grow it from propagating it. So wow. you can only grow it from cuttings. Okay, you got one from yeah, me? yeah. You have a cutting. I do. Okay, don't yeah. me. And that's I'm how you, the one that's that's how you follow get. up. All right, <laughs> I would like the cutting. We'll figure out how that works later. But that reminds me, I was going to ask about the collard tree. Does that grow from seed? Because I'm particularly interested in like just one seed. Is it an expensive seed or is it? Yeah. Just don't start from seed. What, what's your? I advice? mean, you can grow from seed. I grew mine. Got happened to find some plants, so I grew mine from a plant. But yeah, it does produce seed eventually. It takes a while to produce some seeds, but um, that thing gets old. Yeah, it lasts for a long time. So if you. If you find a plant, I will say just grab the plant. It'll be the plants are usually easier to find than the seeds. Okay, I haven't seen depending the seeds on too the, often. the plant, right? Oh, you're talking about that plant? Yeah, that well, plant the, for that plant. That plant. Yeah, for that I'm with plant. You. I'm with you. I haven't seen the seeds too often, but I see that I've run into the plants. Nice. Listen, you just dropped so much game on us, like knowledge, information. I just feel like renewed all right so just way smarter from this conversation and i hope that everybody listening well i know that everybody listening could agree and you got us all like in a frenzy now like oh my god where do i find all these plants that he just named because that sounds lit like i want some pineapple mint i want some strawberry mint and everything else that you just said (laughs) them collards they get taller than me right they get tall tall yeah they get tall they have like a small tree tall Wow. Wow. Well, I'm going to wrap up with like one more question. If you could give advice to those who want to help their community via gardening, what would you suggest? Like three good tips, if you will, or just, you know, however you want to go about it. I mean, I would, I would say to secure some allies and some partners. Mm. It definitely, definitely helps. Uh, Just meeting, meeting other people in the community who grow and you know even if it's like I, sometimes i trade plants with people they have one thing and they want something else and we just do an exchange which is pretty dope you learn and grow together just creating a network you know that's very important and then also you know identifying areas in their community and you know finding ways to find your niche within the community right so yeah for example i was saying you know when we uh when i was working for an organization a couple of years ago and we we decided to partner with uh an area that uh, a lot of our students had lived in, the area where they lived in so mm-hmm. helping out that way and doing the community garden in the area where they actually lived in and so they could be more involved that way so I mean that was one of the things I found very helpful and like uh, the other thing is to get to know your area all the way around know what what you can grow and 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 learn and you know just learning the whole garden skill in your area now skills translate to different areas like I grew up in the midwest but what you can grow and how you grow changes. So for example, here in LA, we can grow year round, but back in Ohio, we couldn't. Definitely not. We like by like November, it was different. So I would say also just to make sure you continue to grow and build your own knowledge that will turn help 
with when you're going out in the community. So learning what plants to grow and and this another thing is like being able to learning by experimentation. So gardening is all about experimentation. So don't be afraid to experiment and to be creative. You know, you're gonna kill some things, you're gonna grow some things, but you don't know until you try it. And so you know that's. I mean, I would say that'll be a, another thing is to internally continue to learn and grow and expand that way. And in turn, you'll be able to drop more knowledge and, and be a greater resource for the community. Brilliant. Those are great tips. But yeah, I feel like if somebody asked me that question, I would probably give the same answer because I am smart. <laughs> but <laughs> and that is just implying that you too are smart. Obviously, you got the degrees, you got the receipts. So we appreciate you so much. Tell us more about like if there's anything that you uh, want us to check out or how we can find you and keep up with you and follow you on social media and things. Yeah, follow me at Farmer Ken Official on my IG. That's the quick and easiest way. All the everything you need to find, you can find from there. I have a link on on there that'll take you to my Etsy shop. That'll take you to the Voyage LA. It's been dope just having a couple of different features and getting nor- notoriety quickly. Um, that's seems like true. it started. Yeah, it was like it started on uh, uh, Blackout Tuesday. I think after like it, it started picking up. Like major. we know what happened. <laughs> yes, I'm telling you. Shout out to our white <laughs> listeners, but you know, y'all had a moment where you had to have some reckoning and and just realizing, you know what? I do need to be checking out these these um uh black everything, not just you know growers, but like just expanding my horizons and learning more and of course that is good that you're doing that but keep so keep it up keep it up but yeah like you said that uh blackout tuesday there was a wave a fresh wave of new interest and i'm sure undoubtedly a wave of yeah. new followers yeah it's been uh it's been uh i think i jumped from like i probably had like maybe 1500 right before that and then i dropped to like three 3500 and then i dropped to five and then, like, I had the uh, Voyage LA article, and then I had the, the LA Times, and then I had, uh, you know, the news, ABC. So it was, like, back, it's been back to back. And I think I'm up to, like, 12K now. Go off. Like yeah. Quickly. So it's, it's been a quick acceleration in interest, which is cool. It's just been, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm still taking the bat with how, how quickly everything has evolved. You too. You know? <laughs> <laughs> let me say my part that ends the show i okay. want to wish you love light and soil <laughs> all right thank you so much for the <laughs> opportunity today and i look forward to connecting more <laughs>